morning. I'm, I'm so privileged to have the opportunity to stand before you to share the word with you. Um, I, I was quite impressed by um, what Quiver shared about two weeks ago or three weeks ago. In fact, I like the fact that he gave his title a name that made it difficult for you to forget his sermon, Abracadabra. And that sticks in your head and you kind of think of, every time you think Abracadabra, you remember um, Krebus's message. And I kind of liked that. And I wanted to, um, to use something in line with that, but something a bit different. Um, I know you guys have all played with yo-yos before, haven't you? you know, I, I love, uh, back home, we had a different kind of yo-yo. But the whole thing about the yo-yo is that when it goes down, it needs the power of the downward motion to come up. So every time a yo-yo, it will not be a yo-yo unless it goes down and then back up again. And um, I kind of wanted to talk to you about uh, the life of a yo-yo, but that of a Christian in kind of comparison. Um, how many of you have seen, by show of hands, the movie God's Not Dead? Um, I encourage you this week, if you can find a cinema where it's shown, go watch it. It is amazing. It will make you do, at the end of the movie, I promise you, you do exactly what the, uh, the last statement says. And you'll find out what the last statement is when you finish the movie. But I was so encouraged. I've seen the movie four times already. It is such a wonderful um, declaration of who our God is. But apart from that, today I wanted to share with you uh, why do we listen or, or, or study biographies of, of men and women of God? I mean, we, we, I remember there was a time we were stuck on Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, um, Nehemiah for like two years. We did Nehemiah for a long time. And lots of people are always wondering, you know, why do we have to study, you know, dead men and women, you know, from the Bible. But I kind of started thinking about that. Why do we study men and women that have gone before us, who have stood in the, um, in the stead and held the baton and passed the baton back onto us in these present times? And I feel that, you know, it's because they leave us in admiration. We admire their lives. I mean, think about people like Joseph, you know, young man who was full of the glory of God, was able to resist huge amount of temptation, was kind of put in a horrible situation, but he held on. I mean, for a young person, like my son, when I, I look at him, I, I ask him, look, can you be like Joseph? Can you do the thing that Joseph did? Can you put yourself in the situation whereby you would do whatever God asks of you and become a tool in God's hands? And you think about the fact that the, the, these old people, they leave us kind of reproved. Because we kind of look at ourselves inwards and, and try to see. God shines a light in our hearts and begin to see where we need to make amends and where we need to um, bring things to right. And also they reveal the fact that we have, we're left with no excuse, really. It's true. I mean, think about somebody like um, Abraham who had to depend on hearing the voice of God. And that's all he, all, all he had. He had from God. But we are so blessed. We have 66 six powerful books left for us 
that shows the, the footprints of God. So these guys, they leave us um, with no excuse, really. If they can listen, hear, and obey God, so can we. But most importantly, they leave us with hope. A hope that God is on our side. That if God can do what he's done in the past, then surely he can do what we ask for even in this present time. He is unchanging. And so that brings me to my message for today. I would like to actually share with you from uh, the book of James, um, chapter 5, verse 17. If you do um, have your Bible, please. Um, Now, James says, the opening part of... um, Verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Some Bible translation says, Elijah was a man just like us. But I like that verse because it's a two-part verse. Elijah was a man just like us. But, even though he was just like us, there was something that he did that was extraordinary. An ordinary man just like me and you had, could do an extraordinary thing. And that's what I'm going to be sharing with you um, today. In what ways can we say Elijah was a man just like you and I? How can we ascribe that um, term, ordinary man, to Elijah? And for me, I've got about four things that are, four areas in which I could ascertain that Elijah was a man just like me and you. The first thing was, he was fearful. Now, we are fearful as human beings. We have fears that, that, you know, get us at night, that kind of creeps in in the middle of the night, and, you know, you find yourself trembling with fear. Sometimes you don't even know why you're scared, but you're fearful. But though Elijah was fearful, he had courage. And I love that definition of courage. That it is not the absence of fear, but the conquer of it. So though Elijah was fearful, he had courage. I mean, courage enough to stand before the king and declare, that, you know what, I will pray and there will be no rain for three and a half years. And he did. Though that wasn't actually a prophecy because I'll come um, to that. Elijah was merely riding on a, on a word that had been spoken, a prophecy that had been spoken before. But Elijah's courage came about from four simple facts. The first thing was, he believed the reality of God. His faith was based on the faithfulness of God. That if God spoke anything, he always came through no matter what. Elijah, for me, if you talk about a man of faith, I know you had shared on, on faith last uh, week. If you talk about faith, Elijah was a man that, you know, Christ asked uh, Peter, that if, Peter asked Christ, if it's truly you, can I come to you? And he walked on water for a while. Elijah leaped into the ocean. But the things that he did, he took God literally at his word. So I'm going to read a bit of a lengthy um, verse with you. I hope you don't mind, please. It's from um, First King 18. And a lot of you know this um, encounter quite well, but for the sake of um, 
people who don't, I would love to, um, I'd love to go to read it again, just to remind us. It's from First King 18, verse 25. My eyes are failing me. I, need, I think I need bifocals now. It says, um, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it, called upon the name of, of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon, Elijah started mocking them, saying, Hey, cry aloud, for he's, he's a God, isn't he? Either he's missing, or he's relieving himself in the toilet, or he's in a journey, or perhaps he's asleep. He must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves with knives and swords and lances until blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no answer, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seers of seed, which is about 7.8 liters of, um, of water. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill your jars with water and pour it on the burnt offerings and on the wood. And do it a second time. And they did it a second time and he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water was round the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, and answer me, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned your hearts, the hearts of your people back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Amen. Don't you just love to listen to Old Testament stories? It's so exciting to read about what God has been doing in the past. For me, it is the only thing that keeps me in awe of God. It's when I read about his exploit, the things he has done. Because God is unchanging. I, that is settled in my heart. God is unchanging. He is God in the Old Testament. He is God in the New Testament. So, Elijah spoke these words and he believed every single one of it. And God came through. You see, Jeremiah 1, 12 says that God said, I will watch over my word to perform it. The word of God is such a powerful thing. 
So today, we have realized that Elijah believed in the reality of God. But also, he was zealous for God. I started looking at the meaning of that word zeal. I discovered that zeal actually is a Christian word. It's a Bible word. It was a word that was used to describe anybody who was passionate and jealous for God. And Elijah was zealous because what he did, what he, he showed the children of Israel was he turned their eyes back to their God, to the, the God that led them out of Egypt, the God that actually promised them where they, they were living. And so also, the third thing was that he believed he was God's spokesman. He believed that God had sent him. So he had every confidence that every word that he spoke was honored by God because he was God's messenger. And if you, if you remember, the gospel is supposed to be the good news. And we are, the, are the, the carriers of that good news. So we are like Elijah, aren't we? We are God's spokesperson, God's spokesmen and women. And the confidence that Elijah had, the boldness that he had, came because he was convinced in his heart who he was. So, The fourth thing was that Elijah lived a very prayerful life. He, he, he communicated with God on a daily basis. He spent time in the presence of God. See, one thing I've realized, and it's not just only Elijah, many men of God who had that thing of giving God their whole life, God honors that. Remember um, um, Joshua. The Bible says that every time Moses spent time in the, t- in the, um, in the uh, tent of meeting or in the temple, when Moses left, Joshua tarried behind. He stayed back. Joshua spent time in the presence of God. So when it was time for God to find um, uh, Moses' um, replacement, he knew Joshua was a man after his own heart. Elisha did something. Elisha followed Elijah so closely. In fact, he, he was almost like his second skin. Even when Elijah was saying, you know what, Elisha, why don't you go do something? He said, no, 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 I, I want to go with you. <laughs> because Elisha knew that there was something about Elijah that was part of his destiny. And so, <coughs> Elijah spent time in the presence of God. His devotion, his private devotion, was revealed, was revealed in his public um, expose. When he came out in public, it showed what was happening in his private life. The same thing applies to us as Christians. If you see a man that spends time with God, when he stands in public to speak, you will know this is the man who actually has God's heart or who has, actually has the eyes of God on him because he spends time with God. So, and that, for me, that was where Elijah's courage came from. These four things, he knew, first of all, that God would not go back on his word. His word was final. As he speaks it, it must come to pass. He also knew that God had sent him. So that boldness gave him, I mean, think about the, the, the day of Pentecost. You know, men and women that were so scared and fearful and hidden in some upper room um, place. And all of a sudden, 
the visitation of the Holy Spirit gave them that boldness. And they knew we were no longer ordinary people. We are ordinary, but there's an extraordinary presence that lives within us. And as a result of that, they were able to stand in public and declare the goodness of the gospel. So, so that's one thing, Elijah, that even though he was fearful, like you and I, he also knew who he was and knew who his God was. Another thing that made Elijah more like you and me was that he had a short memory. We do have a short memory, don't we? I know I do. Especially when it comes to when things turn, you completely forget everything else and focus on the now. Now, not long after God had performed the miracle of the, of the sacrifice, Elijah fell into despair because somehow he discovered that um, Jezebel wanted his head and he ran away fearfully. And if you look at First King 19, he went and hid. And uh, it's quite interesting because this is the man who had performed an amazing miracle that turned millions of Israelites back to God. And all of a sudden, a woman that is the queen of Israel has you running with your tail between your, 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 your legs and going to hide away. If you look at uh, 1 King 19, um, I think it's verse 1 to 5. It says, that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do, me, do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of, whom, of them by this time tomorrow. So you know what? Jezebel was threatening Elijah that um, you've killed the professor Baal. You will join them very soon. And that got Elijah so scared. He ran away. Went to hide. And then um, then verse 9 when God found him. Says, um, then he came to a cave and lodged in it and behold the word of the Lord came to him and he said what are you doing here Elijah? It's quite a question. He said, I have been very... This, uh, the NIV says jealous, and I love that. You can change zealous with the word jealous. So I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life. And at one time he complained, God, you know what? Kill me now. I'd rather die than, you know, be this, 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 you know, depressed and in despair. He had a short memory. He had forgotten, you know, all that God could do. And we are like that. We have short memories. We, we, we often tend to forget that God is he's unchanging. If, if God has broken through and led you through situations in the past, what makes you think that he's going to stop? And so, because Elijah had a short memory, it, it did change quite a lot of things in his life. And also, um, Elijah allowed his present situation to dictate his future. And as a result, he forgot his past. 
And uh, I know, uh, I've been there. I mean, I've worked with God now for nearly 30 years. And um, I know many times in my life where I've, I've gone through trials and, and I completely, my mind goes blank on all the things that God has done in the past. And doubt begins to creep into my heart. And I ask myself, you know, would God really come through for me in this situation? I remember when my son was born, Shane, and he was in hospital. He was in ICU for two weeks. In fact, the very first day he was born, he, he died about five times in my presence. And um, the doctors had to resuscitate him. And um, I mean, as a dad and as a Christian, I'm standing there. I was helpless. I had, there was nothing I could do. And the doctors told me, you know what? We've done everything that we can. It's in God's hands only. And my faith, I had, I had, in fact, I completely forgot that God had given me the first son. He was my second son. That God had healed me of diseases. That God had brought me from such a far, a long distance. I completely forgot that. And I fell off my face right there in the ICU, in, in, in Scubu, in uh, Luton and Dunstable Hospital. I fell on my face. The doctors were like, what's wrong with this guy? I fell on my face and I cried out to God and I said, you know what? The Bible does say, test and see that the Lord is good. I have tested and I know you. And I know you. And I know that my son will not die today. The doctors thought I was a bit bonkers. But they, they saw the situation, so they left me alone. And today, that little boy, Shane, is alive today. So, I also noticed that Elijah's work with God was not perfect. Just like us. Our work with God is not perfect. The Bible says that nobody's perfect. Not you, not me. Only God is perfect. But what I find amazing is the fact that with all his flaws, Elijah was, did not die. The Bible says that he was taken up on a chariot of fire. He did not die. This is a man just like you and me, an ordinary man. And that's why James said that Elijah was a man just like you. So if Elijah could go through that, if he could do all that he did, why not us? Now, In the time of Elijah, the word of God was very scarce in Israel. Life was difficult for anybody who believed in God. In fact, the Bible said that Jezebel did kill a large number of prophets. Some did survive. And that kind of reminds me of now, isn't it? There's, there are parts of the world, we're just, I think Clive just announced about um, northern Iraq. But it's not just northern Iraq. Church, I'm talking about places where persecution has been going on for many, many years. China. Places like um, Vietnam. Indonesia. India. Where they have been, they've been killing Christians. But because they're not very important, so the media actually keeps quiet about them. 
my own country, Nigeria. As far back as I can remember, Muslims have been bombing churches since, since the 1920s. My dad died as a result of religious conflict. But one thing I discovered is where there is tribulation, where there is adversity, the Christ, Christianity thrives. The word of God thrives. I was watching this, this lady, uh, I think it was two days ago, an Iraqi Christian. She said, you know what? They can kill us. They can murder us. They can behead us. But we will never change our faith. And that for me was just awesome. For somebody to say that in the midst of what they are going through, they said that we will never change our faith. We will never turn our back on God. But one thing I find is that in times of relative peace, the word of God also waxes very cold. And um, sometimes you find that it's a bit difficult because when people are comfortable, when people have all that they want, they kind of put God in a back burner. And um, it becomes very difficult to evangelize. But one thing I ask myself is, as Christians in this place, in this country where there's peace, there's freedom of association, there's freedom of uh, religious practice, we actually live in a blessed nation. We are blessed Christians in a way. What is the most difficult thing that we face when it comes to sharing the word of God? What is the most difficult problem for us? Not for, for the word of God, but for us as Christians. And for me, it's pride. The only thing that gets hurt is your pride. Oh, what if, what if they, 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 they reject me? What if they, they, they don't want to listen to me? What if they uh, tell me off? That is the only thing that we have to go through. It's just that thing of, you know, will you sacrifice your pride and stand for the word of God, for Christ, for your faith? Or would you say, you know what, I cannot, I'll leave this evangelism thing to those who are, you know, good at it. I'm not really good at it, you know. I, I feel a bit, you know, somehow about going to talk to somebody about Christ. We have all said that. You know, I'm not a people person, you know. Who is a people person? The commandment that Christ gave before he left was to you and me and all Christians all over the world. Say, go and make disciples of all nations. Amen. I like this um, um, uh, Michael Eaton. He says the reason why Muslims coming into this country is fantastic is because it gives us an opportunity to actually evangelize them without having our heads chopped off. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Because this is the only place where you can actually sit next to them and say, you know what? Have you heard about Jesus? You can go to Iraq and do that. You can go to Iran and, ask, you know, and, and share the gospel like that. So the only thing that we stand to lose is actually our pride. But that's a little bit of a digression. But why was Elijah unique in God's eyes? Why did God find him a unique man? Though he was an ordinary person, why did God make him do extraordinary things? You know, when Elijah prayed for rain to stop for three and a half years, he wasn't prophesying. Rather, he was fulfilling a prophecy. Because in Deuteronomy 11, verse 16 to 17, 
God, Moses gave the children of Israel that commandment, that prophecy. He says, if you do all that your God has asked you, you'll be blessed. But if you replace him with any other God, he will withhold the rain from you and your seed will suffer. And so Elijah stood on that word. How many years ago? I don't know how long it was between Moses and Elijah. But obviously Elijah knew the word because he stood on it and prayed on it. And God brought that to pass. Because the children of Israel had actually abandoned God and started worshiping Baal. And God, so Elijah became the fulfillment of a prophecy that was given many, many years before. Just like you and I became the prophecy of the word of Christ when he said that where this word is preached, that it will turn many hearts to God. We had the gospel and our hearts have been turned to God. So, Elijah claimed the word. He knew the word, but also he trusted the word. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 10 to 11, he says, for me, this is like uh, the most important Bible verse in my family. And you just shared it this morning, um, Isaiah 55, verse 10 to 11. it's only, it's only part of my Bible that's got pencil line under it fully. Um, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it to bring forth, um, forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and that I shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. Amen. This, for me, is the most beautiful verse in the Bible. Because for me, this says everything. Not just about Old Testament um, word of God. It talks about the word that Christ spoke. Every single word that God has spoken shall come to pass. So, remember I just said that in Jeremiah 1.12, God said, I watch over my word to perform it. What does that mean? Wherever the word of God is spoken, God watches over it to perform it. Christ says, I think it's in, in Matthew 14, says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's the word of God. So, In, personally, in my own work with God, I have discovered that, yes, I'm more like Elijah in, in so many more ways than I can remember. But for me, the most amazing time where I began, my work with God kind of changed. I completely changed everything that I did and how I see God and how I see the Word of God. When, when, when I got married... We, we had um, uh, two years where we said we just wanted to kind of get to know each other. We didn't want kids. When we decided to have kids, um, Eunice had two miscarriages. And that completely threw me. This was me that I was, you know, 
was a solid man of God. And I believe that, you know, God is amazing and he's brought us together. If you hear the story of how we met, it was a miracle. God has been orchestrating everything in my, in my life, in my marriage and everything. All of a sudden, my wife has two miscarriages. And that threw me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what. I didn't know where to look for or what to do. I, I looked at in scripture for, for six months. I couldn't really pray. Because they happened one after the other. I couldn't pray for two months. For, for over, almost six months. And then Eunice came back with a book. A little book. About 50 pages. It was a prayer book. It was called um, Supernatural Breath. And she said, oh, um, my pastor in Zimbabwe, where I used to go to, the, the wife gave me this book to read. Can we read it together? I said, okay. We read the book together. And that book exposed me to understanding what prayer really means. And we began, our prayer life completely changed. And we began to pray the word of God. And we began to actually dig into scripture. That's when I discovered actually, and Jill Norton always talks about digging your well or seeking your own treasures. The Bible is full of treasures. And so we began to pray the word of God. And so ever since then, we have, our prayer life has completely changed. And we began to see that it wasn't just our prayer life. We discovered that most of these big pastors, that is what they do. It's a kingdom principle. God will honor his word. And so, today, Elijah lived in the Old Testament times. Him and all the prophets that came before him. They were blessed. They spoke the word and preached the word and, uh, and prophesied the word of God. But we are so much better than them. I mean, think about it, church. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. They heard the word temporarily, once in a while. But we have the word living inside us. Christ said, greater things shall you do. Because I go to the Father. What does that mean? Doesn't that mean that because the Holy Spirit lives in us, because of Christ, that we can do greater things that he has done? That means that we should expect the supernatural every time in our midst. It's not temporary. It's not once in a while. It should happen in our midst all the time. Greater things shall you do. Because I go to the Father. Not because of anything, but because Christ stands and intercedes on our behalf. That every time you call upon his name, every time you speak the word of God, it is honored in heaven. And so, in closing, I have just two words, or two things that I'd like to bless you with in terms of what is it? Why is it that we can't live? Or why is it that we don't live in this time of the supernatural, the amazing work of God? Why is it that we don't see that happening in our midst today? And for me, I think it's all about the fact that 
Do we know our God? Do we know our God? Do you know who God is? You know, it's sometimes we, we, we can say we know about God. We know some of his attributes. We know that he's, uh, he created the universe. He, he did this and he did that. He, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and so on. We know about that. But do you have an intimate knowledge of God? Whereby he actually orders your life. He dictates what happens on, in your everyday walk. It's, it's, for me, I don't think any human being can perfectly say, I know God perfectly. It's impossible. Because the Bible says, we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, we shall know as we are known. In other words, we can't fully say that we have all the knowledge that God um, has. Each of us carries a part of God or a, a part of that prophecy in our hearts. But the Bible also says that the path of a righteous man is ordered by God. Can we actually say that? That our path as righteous men and women is ordered by God. Because for me, that is the foundation for the supernatural to happen. When you listen to God, when you, your life is in awe of the creator of the universe. That is the foundation. But the second thing is knowing, understanding, and trusting the word of God. Knowing, understanding, and trusting the word of God. And for me, I always think of, whenever I, I, I think about the word of God, I always think about two words. I think about Christ, who is the spoken word. And I think about the written word of God. And I always ask myself, you know, do I fully understand the reason why Christ was spoken into the, into the world? Because the Bible says in John 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So Christ is the word of God. And by his amazing blessing, he lives inside of us. Do you know that? Do you believe that? But remember that even Elijah didn't have faith. I mean, when he ran away, of course he was doubting whether God could save him. But God didn't look at that. So it's not about whether you have faith or not. It's about your conviction of who God is and who Christ is in your life. And finally, for me, the word of God, the written word. I cannot believe that the, Bible, the word of God is in the, in, in, in the past five, between five and ten years, the word of God has sort of taken a back seat when it comes to our Christian work. It's very easy for somebody to kind of go a whole week and you haven't read scripture, you haven't actually fed your spirit. And, and I, for me, I think that is, that's such a sad thing. Because how can you, how can you know God if you have no knowledge of his word? How can you speak his word and stand on it when you don't know what that word is? So, what I'd leave you with is this. 
everything that we do, we often find that there are turning points in our lives where we either move towards our purpose and our, uh, all that God has planned and purpose for us, or we move in the opposite direction. And we often come to a crossroad. I, I believe I've come to a couple of crossroads in my life. I've not taken the right path most times. Sometimes I had to go all the way to get to where God needs for me to be. But today, what I'd love for us to do is I know that there are words that you've carried for many years. Some of you, it might have been a um, word that was spoken over you or word that the Spirit of God has put in your heart. You've carried this word for many years, trusting and believing that it is the word of God for your life. Some people have forgotten that word and, and sort of put it in the back burner and say, you know what, I don't really think this can ever happen. What I want us to do today is, I want us to go back and pick up those words again. Now, it might be a word of prophecy. That somebody got, and the thing about prophecy that I love so much is that prophecy is often confirmed. Just like God confirmed my word for you today from what Clive shared, the very first thing he shared while he was praying for me. If it's a word that you have forgotten and put aside, I'd like us to go back and pick up those words again. I tell you that God will honor his word. He says, I watch over my word to perform it. Trust in the faithfulness of that God will not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you believe that in your heart, I'd like you to go back and pick up those prophecies. Pick up those words that were spoken over you many years ago. And stand on that word this morning. And we're going to pray. I'm going to ask God and trust that the Holy Spirit is here to perform that word of God in your life. And you see that movie I was talking about, God's Not Dead. The boy put God on trial. I know the Bible says that, you know, um, it's wrong to, to test God. It's not testing God. Remember, he says, come, let us reason together. If your sin is as red as scarlet, I will make you as white as snow. God would want to dialogue with us. So go back and pick up those words again. No matter what it is, no matter how impossible it might seem to you. Remember, we, our God is the God of the impossible. So this morning, I'd like us to pray. If there's a word in your life that you believe has been spoken over you and you want us to stand together in prayer with you and raise that word before the Lord and just like Elijah did and declare it in heavenlies and remind God, you said this about me and I am bringing it before you this morning because it is your word, because you watch over your word to perform it. And Lord, I am claiming that word this morning in Jesus' name. See, Elijah didn't make a lot of long, elaborate prayers. Elijah just glorified God and told him, Lord, it's your word, and I'm standing on it. Do what you have said. Amen.